the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, in just a few moments, uh, State Senator Kim Hammer will join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Looking forward to seeing him now that he's State Senator and not State Representative. He was elected State Senator uh, last week, so it would be nice to have him in here, talk to him about what he's expecting from the the State Senate and uh, what we can expect from him. So we'll be talking to him and uh, here in just a moment. Uh, before we get to that, though, I'd like to, to say uh, a special goodbye today uh, to Stan Lee. Stan Lee passed away today, if you hadn't heard. And, uh, you know, he was 95 years old. Lee was Marvel's longtime editor and publisher, was credited as an executive producer on nearly 150 films and TV shows, They were based on Marvel titles, including the billion-dollar grossing X-Men, Spider-Man, Avengers, and Iron Man franchises. Other productions bearing Lee's name include Wolverine, Captain America, Guardians of the Galaxy, Fantastic Four, Hulk, Thor, and Doctor Strange films, and the Jessica Jones and Luke Cage series. As of... uh, Two years ago, twenty-seven or one year ago, twenty seventeen, four of the world's top twenty all-time box office hits were based on characters co-created by Lee: The Avengers, Avengers: Age of uh, Ultron, Iron Man three, and Captain America: Civil War. Many more Marvel movies featuring and bearing Lee's name, if not uh, featuring one of Lee's signature on-screen appearances, are in the pipeline. In 2018 alone, Lee appeared in Black Panther, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Avengers Infinity War, and Venom. He has also appeared in the untitled Avengers movie that comes out in 2019. You know, hard as it is to sum up what Lee meant to what we watch, read, and consume, the world kept trying to figure it out. Uh, Lee was presented with the Producer Guild's Vanguard Award, the National Medal of the Arts, and a Disney Legends Award. At age 91, he was placed among Oprah Winfrey, Steven Spielberg, and George Lucas on Forbes' annual ranking of the most influential celebrities. Lee had an all-shucks take on his career and legacy. Quote, I'm just a guy who wrote comic books, unquote, he would say. Lee's own origin story went like this. He was born Stanley Martin Lieber on December 28, 1922, in New York City. In 1939, when he was 17, Martin Goodman, his cousin Gene's husband, launched Timely Comics, the forerunner to Marvel. Goodman hired the young Lee to refill inkwells for Timely's editing team, Jack Kirby and and Joe Simon, both already renowned for having created the star-spangled Captain America. 
When Kirby and Simon left Marvel in 41, Lee was transformed like Peter Parker was from a nerdy high schooler to Spider-Man. The former Gopher was tapped to be Timely's lead writer, art director, and editor-in-chief. The latter, uh, the latter t- title was something Lee, outside a break to serve in the Army during World War II, would hold until the 1970s. In the 50s, Timely, which morphed to Atlas, morphed to Marvel, churned out mar- uh, monster, mystery, and cowboy tales, Superheroes surfaced only occasionally. Marvel was on the ropes and Lee was bored. Around 1960, I told my wife, he said, I can't stand this anymore. My wife said, if you want to quit anyway before you leave, why not do a comic or two the way you want to do them? Around the same time, Lee would recall Goodman told his editor he wanted a superhero team up title named A La Justice League of America a then-hot new hit for rival DC Comics. A year later, in 1961, the first issue of the Fantastic Four took off by Lee and Kirby, who returned to the Marvel fold, was publishing. The title was unlike anything comic book fans had seen, where the Justice League of America was an all-for-one collective of do-gooders. The Fantastic Four was a group of of mutants who bickered all the time i changed the whole line around lee would say new ways of characters talking hang-ups introspection and brooding lee's vision for the superhero came down to this quote inside their colorful costume booties they still have feet of clay he wrote in his book origin of marvel comics and the thinking was revolutionary quote the uh beauty of Stan Lee's characters is that they were characters first and superheroes next, said Jeff Klein, a producer of animated series like Transformers, uh, Transformers Prime, Dragon Tales, and others. They never just had superpowers. Hulk, Iron Man, the X-Men, the Avengers, Nick Fury, the Silver Surfer, Ant-Man, and Black Panther were among uh, the flawed heroes and anti-heroes, Lee and Kirby cranked out one after the other through the early 60s. Lee and Kirby were the Lennon and McCarthy of comics. Dark Horse Comics founder Mike Richardson once told the Los Angeles Times. When Steve Ditko, Lee co-created Spider-Man, the web-slinging outsider who would become status-wise Marvel's equivalent of Superman, it was Lee who penned in the very first Spider-Man adventure in Amazing Fantasy number 15, the words that would famously be boiled down to, quote, and every comic book lover remembers this, with great power comes great responsibility. Lee was front and center as Marvel rose like a rocket. He became a star, complete with his own catchphrase, Excelsior, to baby boomers and Gen X readers of the 60s and 70s. In the 60s, Hollywood began mining Marvel for fodder for children's cartoons. As comics moved into the mainstream, Marvel heroes went prime time with the 1970s shows The Amazing Spider-Man and The Incredible Hulk. Lee's characters had a tougher time transitioning to the big screen, while DC scored successes with Christopher Reeve, Superman franchise, and the Tim Burton Batman movie, Spider-Man and his cohorts, languished in development hell. 
For a time, the most famous Marvel movie was the one that never got released. The low-budget Roger Corman branded Fantastic Four. Lee was not a producer on that fiasco. In 96, Lee filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Then in 2000, X-Men opened in theaters, and uh, to say that everything changed is an understatement. Lee's name uh, not only appeared in the credits, the man himself appeared on screen, a cameo tradition that dated back at least to the 1989 TV movie The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, and will continue with the upcoming Wreck-It Ralph sequel, Ralph Breaks the Internet, which opens November 21st. His 2017 cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 teased that Lee's omnipresence was due to his being one of the all-seeing watchers, yet more characters created by Lee and Kirby. Lee once joked his cameos were the reason the Marvel movies were so successful. The cameo is very brief, he said. Somebody might miss it. You might have reached down for popcorn. If you missed a cameo, what do you do? Well, you run to the box office and you buy another ticket. So half of the money they've made is because of my cameos. In 2009, Disney bought Marvel, and the price tag was essentially affixed to the characters, adventure, and titles that originated at the Lee-era Marvel Comics. Four billion dollars. Lee, who stepped down as Marvel publisher in the 90s, kept a hand in the company as its chairman, Emerus. Always a hustler, Lee founded the media company POW Entertainment and starred in his own reality TV series, Who Wants to Be a Superhero? 2017, the man who'd left an imprint on so many literally left his prints at the TCL Chinese Theater. The ceremony was held less than two weeks after Lee's wife of 69 years, Joan Lee, died at age of 95. Through it all, Lee showed no signs of slowing down or of losing the ability to spin a good story. Asked once which of his characters was his favorite, Lee answered, as any proud parent would, quote, I love them all, he said. Stan Lee, dead today, age 95. He'll be a huge loss and uh, always great to see him in the movies. I guess he's going to be in the Avengers movie next year. He'd already filmed his part, Russ, so we'll see him one more time, at least on the big screen. All right, 17 minutes after two, let's get a break in, and then State Senator Kim Hammer will join us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Hey, if you ever need a plumber, let me let you just know who I use. Ain't no doubt about it. It is Aero Plumbing. When Linda called me a few days ago, and said to me, our toilet is doing Mount Vesuvius reversed. I um, I said, well, you know what to do? And she goes, what? And I said, call Arrow Plumbing. And she says, okay, I'll call Arrow Plumbing. So she called them. They got out to the house about an hour, maybe 90 minutes later. And they were done in 25, 30 minutes, she said. And... We couldn't use the toilet for 24 hours because there's just stuff that had to dry and, and set. But bottom line, they did a fantastic job. I uh, can tell you the toilet works absolutely perfect now, no problems whatsoever. And uh, it's been that way every time that I've used uh, Aero Plumbing. In the uh, 15 years now that I've been living out in uh, Cabot, I've used Aero Plumbing probably seven or eight times. They've saved me literally thousands of dollars. 
they've taken care of uh you know removing plastic pipes that were uh mounted in the ground for my my pool and replacing them with steel t- uh p- type pipes so we didn't have as much problem with any kind of uh, freezing and things of that nature. I mean, they have saved me a lot of money because they are professional. They're not only professional with the work they do, but when they show up to your house, they're wearing uniforms, uh, they got the booties on, they treat you, you know, you're the customer, you get the last thing, they're going to, they'll say, this is what it's going to take to fix this. And they might offer you like three different things. Now, each one may cost a different amount but it depends on how long do you want it to last you want the the fix to last a couple of years maybe seven or eight years or do you want it that you'll never have to call them again uh, depending on what you want to do aero plumbing will supply that type of great work they got a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee if you're not 100 percent satisfied uh, satisfied with the service they've provided they'll refund all your money i don't see how you could do any better than that aeroplumbing.net or just google aero plumbing all right so kim hammers here he corrected me before i went to the break and that is he is state senator elect because he hasn't been to the senate yet for next year's meetings uh for the uh, the get together they have uh, every or every year and he hasn't put his hand up and sworn that he'll uh, protect and do all things that he's got to do with the Constitution of Arkansas and the United States of America. How does it feel to be sitting here now? You've you've done your time over. And I guess that's the wrong way to put it. You, you, <laughs> I you, don't. You serve. You serve yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. <laughs> way to start the Senate. <laughs> that was a yeah. That's not the way to put it. Uh, you served over in the House. Now you're coming over to serve in the Senate. When you move to serving in the Senate, does it do, does your your thought process change a little bit about what you're going over to do? I mean, one you, you're there for two years; the other one you're there for a lot longer. I think, uh, yeah, I'll be in for four years this time around, and then um, you know the uh, uh, census work will take place, the redrawing of the district lines, and all that will take place, and you know have to draw for the you know for the next term. That process will play out. By the way. This will be the first time the governor, the AG, and the Secretary of State will all be Republicans when they re- redraw the lines. And and hopefully we'll not be accused of any gerrymandering. We'll just, you know, do what's right for the oh, people. Like, like the Democrats never did that with that great finger over there in the 4th District. Like I said, you know, hopefully we <laughs> won't be accused of gerrymandering or anything like that. We'll do what's best for the people. I and. Would, yeah. uh, you know, and that that's what you do. You know, when you have kind of like you said a while ago, when you got authority and you got power, you got to be responsible with that's it. That's exactly so, right. Uh, to quote the great, so Stanley, Stanley, there you go. Uh, you know, to your question, the the biggest thing that I'm in the process of doing is number one, still uh, getting used to the idea. Because if you remember, I announced in January 17 that I was going to run. Yeah, and it's been a long time since that announcement. And right. So you know, having to uh, be patient throughout the process and and then you know you just you're you're campaigning constantly you're always in campaigning mode uh and quite honestly i'm still in the get used to the idea mode because you know other things it's I, all done now it's Tim, all done you, you can you can you calm down now you can relax a little bit got it got it well i'm gonna take some time off during thanksgiving i think okay after put that, your feet up a little bit maybe maybe that'll kind of help me gear up or gear down a little yeah. bit but now you. 
you know the one thing i, I don't want to see change is um i've had the pleasure of serving in the house uh for four terms now and what i don't want to see happen is when i go over to the senate uh i don't want to change who i am and what people have you know come to know me as and what they've come to know me for well i'm listening to you now this is way this is kim hammer i know yeah don't come sit in my uh, my studio here in, in a few weeks and go well, Dave, the way that I see it here, you know, no, don't do that, please. Well, you may be lucky to get me over here if no. I'm going to be that way. Oh, but there anyway. you go. <laughs> so, you have to schedule an appointment. Yeah. But. Don't puff out your chest or anything. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, I'm looking forward to going down to the Senate, and I think we're going to get some great things done. I think we're one vote short of a supermajority, but I think there's a, you know, a few Democrats that are pretty reasonably minded. And um, so, any you know, I think we'll be able to be pretty progressive in what we get done. The House, you know, has the supermajority, so that may uh, not be the word you want to use for people when you say be pretty progressive. Well, in the positive sense, before the word was hijacked <laughs> okay. and twisted and, and you know. Uh, it's like when I said you've done your time. All right. Just, yeah, we're, we're one for one way. today. You yeah, know, we're one right for on. one. So. Okay. But, you know, I think, you know, we will be aggressive. How about that? Uh, yeah, that's work? good. I like that. We're going to be aggressive in uh, doing what we need to do is, you know, the, the party of majority that, uh, you know, we need to def- – I think the one thing we got to work on through our actions is we got to define ourselves as what the um, what the old time Republican Party was. Because if we don't, I still think we're vulnerable uh, to for see the needle move back the other way. And and I think that's what needs to drive our decisions, our legislation. Uh, you know, all of our actions, all of our motives. You know what you just said may cause some fights with you and other senators at this time because there's uh, those who are saying that we don't want to can be hooked up with the the republican party of yesterday i disagree with that i agree with what you're saying i I think that uh, if we're not going to be that party then we need to get a new name and just be you know call it what it is um uh, i still think that there's I still think in Arkansas, I can't say this in the rest of the nation. Obviously, you look what's happening out in Arizona, you know, some of the other states. I think I think there'll be a price to pay for that one day. Um, and I'd I'd rather I'd rather go out standing on those values and principles and stay around and compromise what I don't think we need to put on the table for compromise. And you you know, if you got to have that, if you got to have that debate, you got to have that argument, you got to have that fight. Let it be now, and let's just get it on. All right. Look, we're we're not even two weeks away from the last election. Uh, I mean, it's a what a week tomorrow? Is that what it's been? Yeah. Last, yeah, last week on Tuesday yeah. was election day. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at the fiascos that have occurred in Arizona, the fiasco that has unbelievably yet once again shaken up the state of Florida, you know how do. How do we keep that from happening here in Arkansas? I mean, we've had we have people that cry out that there's that there's it's not going a hundred percent the way it should. I will say, for instance, in Cabot, I loved it this year. We had new voting machines this year. You went up, punched in what it was that you you know wanted. It spit out a a ballot to you. You looked at it, made sure what was on that ballot was exactly how you voted. And then you went in and put in another machine that you know kept it. And I, I got to tell you, I thought it was great. Thought it worked out fantastic. You know, and, and for uh, I think the one good thing about being in Arkansas is um, a lot of 
a lot of other states look at us and they consider us to still be backwards. And in a way, I think that's a best kept secret because when you look at our election process and how smooth it went, um, how un, un, now there were some pockets. Don't get me yeah. wrong. There, there are a few counties that had some glitches, and I think that's one reason why uh, people need to pay attention to who they're electing as their county clerk because that's the person at the local level that drives it all. And if you're a county that you've had historically some problems and you keep putting those people back in office, then uh, God bless you. You're a special person is all I can say. All right. Hold your thought. Okay. We'll come back from the news. We've already gone through a half hour. Unbelievable. Kim Hammer is my guest, state senator-elect. We'll talk more about elections when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right. Back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay. You're asking me what, Kim? What? Where your Facebook my face. Oh, the big screen that was yeah. here. Okay. Well, we moved from that cam, those cameras. Okay. To that camera. Oh, sweet. Okay. All right. All right. The little one. By the way, we'll be uh, adding some uh, equipment to our stuff here in the next week or two, and once that gets added, you'll be amazed at the uh, presentation we'll be able to do. In fact, state senator. I'm bringing it with me over to the Capitol, so Sweet. we'll be able to broadcast on Facebook Live from the Capitol. Well, maybe by then you'll be able to tap into the Senate committee meetings, too, and live stream that. Oh, <laughs> Lord, they'd hate that. I'm just, isn't it amazing what happens when tr- people ask finally for transparency? It's okay. great that they, they reacted the way they did. Now, they only did it because they had to because they had so many problems. Right. Well, and at the end of the day, the results is going to be the results are going to be that uh, you know you'll have greater transparency and and people will be able to do just like they did on the house end, and I think that just makes everybody more accountable and also makes you think a little deeper before you make your commitments and your decisions. So, yep, that's not a bad thing. I agree with that. I wholeheartedly. Okay, now we were talking about voting. You said we had a few pockets. For just a moment, I want to give you a few minutes here. Mark Martin is leaving now as Secretary of State. He served two terms. Uh, he termed out. I think he did an admirable job, don't you? I think he did a really good job because you never hardly ever, and I don't remember a time that you ever saw him in the paper for, for all the things that you see articles in other states uh, where Secretary of State didn't do such a good job or they got caught doing a bad job for for a reason. Right. Um, so, you know, and, and for the most part, uh, I don't think that Mark um, did it for the front page articles. He just did because he wanted a good quality voting system in the state of Arkansas. And I think we get the evidence of it when you measure it against other states like Florida. And that's kind of what we were saying when we went into the break. Um, you know, with the exception of a few pockets, um, you know, when you when you look at Arkansas, people think of us as backwards sometimes. But you consider, you know, we got we got all the votes in. We got them in in a timely manner, um, even on the close races. You know, I don't I don't know of many that were contested, if any. And I think that just goes to the quality of the training. You got to you got to consider that too, the training of the poll workers. And then you add on, I think, um, you know, what the people sent in the way of a message that they want our voting system to be uh, pure with the, uh, you know, with the passing of the voter ID by the large margin. Yeah, it's been passed now. Yeah, by the large, large margin. It wasn't yeah. even close, no. which tells you that a lot of, I think that you could read into that too that uh, a significant number of democrats got on board with that yes and so i think that speaks to the uh, to the overall integrity of the state and what the people want when it comes to elections well i got to tell you our worst our worst county cannot be even close to broward county in florida 
that, that, that is they corruption. are an embarrassment. Yep. I mean, embar- did you hear that they found a whole box of uh, of votes? I think they were. Um, in fact, I think they were uh, sent in ballots, um, and they were in a closet in a classroom in an elementary school where they didn't have any polling places set up. So how did that? How does that happen? It was like seventy-eight thousand or something. Well, that happens because you have corruption. That happens because uh, you have somebody that's afraid they're going to lose. Their side's going to lose. Uh, I think you have that because of a mindset of people, you know, in the world today that it's okay to do those things and and uh, forget the integrity of the system. And and I think that's you know that that's a problem within itself. But it's kind of like we talked about on here before. The bigger issue, I think, is that what about those people that see that and don't see anything wrong with it? Yeah, that's that's worse. That that speaks to the moral decay. That's of, banana republic, exactly. And and thank God they were found. You know, I mean, yeah. it, uh, of course, I know they were talking about earlier that they're concerned they're not going to make the deadline. Uh, they're focused on the Senate race. That's going to leave the governor, and I think there's a congressional race. You know, that's that's uh, you know highly contested. But they're afraid that they're not going to make the deadline by Thursday. So, you know, that that's a dilemma within itself. You know, it seems to me maybe if we start cooling people's heels in jail about this stuff, and I mean not for a little short periods of time, for a long period of time, that might, you know, change this kind of stuff. I mean, they're breaking federal and state law. Well, and that's where I would hope that the, um, you know, where, of course, that's the value of, holding that's the importance people think of secretary of state and land commissioner um i don't know that's a fair comparison but they think about those seven constitutional offices and you know the governor obviously always gets the highest uh, visibility and everything but really the secretary of state in my opinion uh could be one of the more important seven yeah, constitutional. two or three you yeah. know ag maybe second and and secretary of state third but could be just AG and Secretary of State could be flipped. Right. And if you don't, because if you don't have a pure election process, nothing else matters. That's exactly right. And and so, you know, your governor's there. All the other six are there because the Secretary of State's job is to oversee the election. So if we don't have that pure process, everything else can be influenced one way or the other, good, bad, or ugly. All right. So have you sat down and talked with the uh, the head of the, uh, of the Senate yet? Uh, we have talked casually. We have a scheduled retreat. That's going to be the the last week of this month, and that's where we'll get uh, you know we'll get some some uh, in depth time and everything. And and he has reached out. You know he wants to meet with each one of us, and uh, uh, we have a good rapport. I so think. this is going to be a caucus sort of meeting. It's it's going to be our orientation. You know the house started uh, Friday by getting the seniority picks and everything. Jason Kelly, who uh, won my seat in a landslide. Um, you know, he, he was up there Friday and, um, you know, he got, he, he did pretty good. He got, uh, number 88 in seniority, which coming in as a newbie, that's, that's good. And, um, where was Stephen Meeks this time? Do you know by any chance? I don't know if he's made it down to number one or he's pretty pretty close. close. He's pretty close. Um, which Stephen's a great guy. I mean, they're blessed to have him up there, you know, as their representative. He's coming Um, back next week here on the show. Yep. I like to have him because it's important to talk to him because he's really leading the way for the whole thing about, you know, all of this stuff that we need for our computers to run quickly. 
Well, the broadband, he's the pioneer. Well, not the pioneer, but he's the driving force on that. And he's got the, uh, just put it in simple terms, he's got the brains and the concept to be able to do it. He gets the big picture when it comes to that. And, you know, if we can't expand our broadband, if we can't have the ability to move that, that technology at the high speeds, um, that is one thing. I think with the governor's initiative to get, you know, to get the, uh, uh, the I'm at a loss, the STEM programs in the school, um, I think that, you know, you combining those two things together, and I think that's one more re- way in which Arkansas is going to move to the top of the pack. And uh, you increase your ability to move information, you increase your uh, viability at the table, and that's that's the direction we're heading. That's where we need to be going. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen. Start. What date do you guys start in January? Do you know? <laughs> Sounds ignorant, but it's it's uh, I think second week of January when we get sworn in. Okay, so we're going to be there Monday through Thursday. Uh, towards as we move past midpoint maybe on friday as well because typically uh fridays by the time i get over there you all are gone, gone. by two <laughs> o'clock it's an empty house that's right it's an empty chamber and uh. and russ will tell you he's been over there at times it starts echoing really bad then and then the people come in to clean and they're running those those things with the wheels on them that are clacking everything can hardly hear us talking up there yeah, yeah. So. it's got an echo effect for sure but the people may not mind us being gone on friday less damage it can be done you know so well, i, I kind of relax my hand on my wallet when i'm there on a on a friday but no we'll be there monday through thursday that's going to happen of course all the way through the whole session we'll be there for you guys to tell everybody what's going on you know there's one thing to read it in the newspaper the next day that's a whole different uh thing when folks come on and explain what's what's transpiring and and things that are being worked on and i looked at uh, i brought this article today i said it in here governor examines second term priorities he's got four priorities here and let me just run through these with you all right what he says first uh another income tax cut then an increase in the minimum pay for teachers a government reorganization, and a highway plan. The highway plan would be something that will be presented on ballot in 2020 uh, to the voters of, of Arkansas. So uh, when you look at those four, is that is that the right order they should be in, or what should be the first thing that you guys should be talking about? Well, as far as that being the right order, that could be the author of the article that chose to put them in that, in that you know, process. Yeah, it's Michael Wicklin. Yeah, and, and I want to personally i think mike is one of the better uh reporters you i know, agree he's he's pretty well call it like he sees it and he has the facts to back it up the um i i think the income tax is probably uh you know you got you got four you got four issues you got the income tax but then if you're going to give you know a race to the teachers then that money's got to come somewhere the highway plan is going to involve a tax sure and then what was the fourth thing he had in there? Uh, the, government reorganization. Which that's already started, you know, with the reorg plan that he's presented. Um, you know, some of the some of the comments I guess I would make on each one of those, and I commend the governor for, you know, moving those four issues as far as priorities. Um, number one, on the income tax, wanting to take it from 6.9 down to 5.9. I think that's great. The task force, uh, you know, has, has done the yeoman's work in that, and they've put a lot of things on the table. Uh, the only one concern I would have, uh, going back to what we were talking about, you know, defining as, you know, the, uh, the old time Republican party, 
uh, and that is if you rob Peter to pay Paul, you really haven't given a tax cut. You just shuffled the marbles. And I, I think that's one thing we're going to, have to take a look at. The second thing of that is um, that one way you you get tax cuts is you know to cut the uh, you know to cut the uh, the revenue or re re uh, portion the revenue uh, kind of the direction the task force has been going. But the other way you look at it too is you cut the you know you cut the government because if you can cut the government, then you cut the need for the taxes that have to pay for the government. So all right, now that you've said that for all of our Facebook watchers right now. Hold up the hammer. Yeah, I am. (laughs) All right, I'm I'm all about that. So that's you know we've been talking about that for years. You you can cut spending all you want in one area and move increase spending in other areas or increase taxes in other areas, like they did with the the tax for the military. Mm -hmm. And and that and and I, I thought that was wrong. You know that I was against it. I'm a vet. All right, here on Veterans Day, I don't mind saying that. And uh, bottom line was, when I keep hearing revenue neutral, it's just like you said, it's rearranging, you know, the the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. we got to get to the point, how about we cut government some? Well, and the one thing, you know, and I'm blessed in that I'm going to be in for four years, and it's that's a, that's a different mindset for me because, you know, when you're in the house, you're always running every two years. Um, this will allow me the latitude to do some things, uh, with my time and my energies. The one thing I'd like to, one thing I'd like to put my energy and time into over the next four years. And that is this definition. What are essential services of the government? Uh, because if, if we can identify what are essential services versus what have been added on services, I think then we, then we identify the areas where we can look at eliminating them, which reduces the need for the taxes in order to carry the budget in those areas so next four years that's going to be one of my priorities is what are what are the essential services that we're required as a government to provide versus those that have just been added on over the years and what price tag can you put with that because uh, i think that could get you you know another percent or you know we'll have to justify the number but at any rate it's going to be a reduction that we can put toward reducing that tax rate all right we're going to get a break in State Senator-elect, pretty soon to be just state senator, Kim Hammer is with us. What district again? 33. Number 33 used to be uh, Jeremy Hutchinson's seat. Correct. Now it belongs to Kim Hammer. It's the people's seat, and they've put him there overwhelmingly in last week's election. We'll talk to him further in just a moment. All right, back with you. Eight minutes. Gosh, it goes too quick. Just goes to show what happens. I, I've got to know Kim Hammer over the years that he's served in the House. I usually have a pretty good feel for what he's going to be doing in the Senate, and he's got more time to work on it, which that's exciting. Who are some people? I mean, everybody goes in figuring that there's a couple of people that you feel like are like on your side of the of the fence, so to speak. Because let's face it, in the Republican Party, in any party, you got those who are the folks that believe in the planks of the party platform and and they work within those and they have those that say, well, maybe we can work around some of these planks been over here. It's like, what planks? Uh, who are some of the people? Is, is Alan Clark one of those guys you figure you can work with? Uh, you know, and, and I want to go in with a, with a open-mindedness to work with everybody. Um, and, and yet, at the same time, I want to have my boundaries uh that says this well, some is, of these people that you've worked with already 
Yes. I mean, like Jim Hickey, for example. Yeah. Uh, last session around, Jim and I worked on the procurement, which out of that, uh, and and Jim pulled the lion's share of weight on that. I mean, he he's a, a, a brainiac when it comes to that stuff. And I think because of that, that was one of the subjects that was picked up by the current uh, state agencies and joint performance review that they've been, you know, looking at revamping it. But that was born out of Jim Hickey's incentive uh, to take a look at the way in which we do procurement. That was born out of, I think, uh, what Alan Clark and I did back under JPR. And that's one thing people need to realize that, you know, in, in the, in the capital world, JPR joint performance, performance review. review. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and, you know, you start on something now, but you might not see the results of it for two or three terms. We're starting to see the results of some things now that the pressure started several terms ago. And, uh, so Jim Hickey's one I can work with. I think Terry Rice will be one. Oh uh, yeah you know, that'll be able to work with, uh, Ron Caldwell, uh, will be one to work with Alan Clark. I think Bill Sample, uh, will be able to be one to work with. And yet at the same time, I don't think we need to, uh, build walls too high to where you, you know, for the issues that ought to matter. And if you present a good sound, logical argument as to why you want to do something and it's going to benefit the people and taxpayers, uh, then create latitude for everybody to get on board and support it. And by the same token, get on board with others and support what they're doing if it goes in line with what are your you know conservative values if not that's where the conflict and the you know where the issues begin to bubble up because you're asking somebody else to move away from their conservative values i don't think this is time we need to move away if anything uh this is kind of like the last stand frontier we need to we need to put our stakes down all right that's that's i mean i those are, these are answers I would expect to hear. If Kim had said something differently, I would have been looking at him weird. You would, who, who took it's, over this body. Yeah. Hey, to the governor's other issues, uh, yeah. you mentioned about teachers. I think that's yes. great. I think uh, we don't want to have an Oklahoma situation, uh, but Oklahoma was negligent in you know going over 10 years without supporting their teachers. However, um, you know when you talk about giving teachers increases, $1,000 to the entry level, uh, you have the significant number of teachers that that's not going to help any. Uh, and I, I think you need to look at what you can do to to help those teachers that have been in uh, for a long time. By the same token, I think teachers need to realize also, um, and administrators of schools, that, that this isn't the same way it was 20 years ago. And, and we've got to work together to get our schools uh, aligned with what what i think we need in the way of an educational approach to deal with kids it's been almost 20 years since lakeview now Mm -hmm. all right is it time for the legislature to revisit that and see what they perhaps did at the beginning they can look at it now and say to the supreme court hey look we've done all of this we don't need to keep just throwing money after money after money and thus the importance of who's sitting in the Supreme Court seats. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, th- I think that's the value of one thing uh, President Trump has brought to the table, who he's putting, should it get all the way to the top. Yeah. Uh, you want those conservative judges that are sitting there. Um, you know, I still I still believe in the uh, public school education. I believe in the other ed- forms of education because kids educate differently. What I find is the biggest problem is the parents um, who – come to the schools regardless of whichever one it is and and they are a big part of the problem of why their kids are not learning at school because they're not getting the support at home 
what I'd like to focus my attention is what do you got to do to hold parents more accountable when they're not uh, giving the good support to their kids at home? Now, I'm not I'm not talking about bring DHS in the picture. You know, right. the history. I'm not saying that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if you're if you're a parent that's not doing your job at home. It's hard to ask a teacher to do your job for eight hours a day when you're not going to do your job at night when you got your kids at home, and and we've got to we've got to come to the table as far as what do we have to do to get this thing back on track for those school districts that are being taken over by the state either because of economic distress or uh, or academic distress. And I'm quite honestly, I don't know that that's a bad thing that the state takes over to give a reprieve to a school district that has not shown the ability to manage their district well uh, when you get to that point and like down in the case of pine bluff what i understand are the parents were wanting it but it was the board that was standing in the way of it uh, i think that's that's when you've got to look at the bigger picture all right we're out of time don't have any more time to talk we gotta have you on again before uh we get to christmas time that'd be great think we can work that out oh yeah always okay. love coming on your that's show. good all right state senator elect kim hammer it's good to have him on we'll have him on again right after thanksgiving we'll try to get him on here and uh, maybe we'll bring him in longer maybe we'll bring some other people in with him that'd be fun to do get a legislative power panel yeah we could do that and talk about what's coming up at the beginning of the year we got more coming your way stick with me robert steinbach on the horizon here on the dave ellswick show let's move into the second hour the monday edition of the dave ellswick show good to have you here with us uh robert steinbach will be here in a few moments he's running a few minutes behind they had a meeting at the law school at Bowen School of Law, and being the legal uh, beagle that he is, the law professor that he is, he had to be at the meeting. As soon as he's done, he'll make his way here. He'll be with us until 5 o'clock. In the 4 o'clock hour, joining us is going to be uh, Conduit News as well, so everybody had joined together. 5 o'clock today, we have a veterans special for you here on uh, the Dave Ellswick Show it's happy Veterans Day, of course, to all of you who have served to whatever branch of the service you served in, uh, whether you were active duty or guard or whatever. Uh, my thanks to you for giving up part of your life uh, to protect the nation that we live in. I thank you very much for your service. I have I spent uh, almost 10 years in the in the Air Force and uh, it was a good 10 years for me, and uh, let me see part of this country that I had never seen before, and I'll tell you what it did for me as well, is it got me out of this country so that I could know how much this country did for me uh, when I looked at how the other countries lived and how the other countries were trying to get along and the despots that are out there and the tin horn dictators and that are out there and the way people are running uh, nations and things of that nature. I mean, I understand, and I know there's a lot of people that understand as well as I do, that the people that are coming up from Central America are coming from, you know, uh, countries that are not run very well at all and uh, are overrun with crime and things of that nature. They don't have the police we have, the military that we have. Uh, if they did, they could get rid of Many of those uh, cartels, drug cartels, Mexico is having, you know, literally a war within their own borders with the cartels. Graft is crazy. Corruption is crazy. Uh, some of that even bleeds over into 
our our country, but I would say that the graft and corruption that we see in this nation uh, pales in significance to other uh, nations, and it's because of of our veterans, our active duty military, and our law enforcement and EMTs and all the people, fire departments, and all the uh, uh, emergency people that we have as well. But today is a special day to remember those who are veterans. And and one thing I wish that we would get to on this day, I know, um, are most schools closed today, Russ, or are they open? Is it basically just like government and uh, banks that close? I think it's governments and banks that close. It's ridiculous. If there's a day that we should take, as we do on Memorial Day, to remember those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice, we should take another take another day off. I'm all about taking another day off to remember the men and women who have served this great nation to help it to be what it is and to stay what it is. I, what I I thought I heard somebody tell me that. Now it's less than 1% of our population that's ever served in the military. Is that right? I mean, we're one of the more, uh, one of the bigger states that have a, a military uh, presence here in, in our country or in our, in our state in the country because did I hear 10% for us in, uh, in Arkansas, veterans and active duty alike? It's, is it 10%? I'd have to look it up again. I, I used Don't to have all those. Yeah. I'm 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 saying I'm not sure. If somebody knows eight two three oh nine six five, you give us a call, you can tell us. Uh to be uh, to tell you as well, tomorrow the commanders uh the American Legion are gonna be here, local state, and then of course uh from the national organization in Indianapolis, we'll have them on talk to them about remembering veterans as well. Wish we could have done it today, but you know. They're kind of busy on Veterans Day. But uh, we'll have your special. I think our special is about Pearl Harbor, if I'm not mistaken. That would be correct, sir. People are forgetting about it already. People, You ask some high school kids about Pearl Harbor, they don't know what you're talking about. December 7th, 1941, mm-hmm. a date that will live in infamy. Do you watch the History Channel very much? Negative. Okay, I, I watch it a lot. And they did a four, I believe it's a history channel. They did a four-part series on what Adolf Hitler had planned for the world after the war was over. Incredible. You, you, if you get a chance, uh, take a look at it. I'm going to tell you, that would be a, for a history buff, that would be a great Christmas gift, and I'm sure you can go and and can get the DVDs and give it to somebody uh, for uh, for Christmas because uh, it'll make your blood run cold. I mean, there yeah, you've got to see it. There's look, I know you think you know everything about the Third Reich and the Nazis and all the rest of them. I'm just telling you, this is the first time I heard a lot of this material uh, that was uh, that was presented. I mean, I didn't. I did not know that uh, Hitler, I mean, he wanted to control people all the way down to what they were eating. And what was really kind of scary is seeing what the Nazis were trying to do about uh, 
what people were eating and, and how they were trying to force them into a mold and seeing what our own government does at times. That was really kind of unnerving as well. You need to watch the show. I'm just saying it's a great show. It's called, uh, what was it called, Post-War Plans or something like that. And it's about how they were going to remake the cities, how they were going to remake uh, leisure time. And they were already starting to do a lot of this stuff before the war started. And a lot of it was put on the back burner because of the war. And then a lot of it didn't happen because of the war. Because, as you know, thank God, uh, you know, with the with America and uh, Europeans, we were able, and the Russians even at that time, turned back. Uh, the the evil axis out there, and, uh, you know, Italy and and Japan and uh, and Germany. But the bottom line is, is that it was incredible what they had planned. I don't know what the the Japanese had planned. I can only imagine what they had planned. Uh, and with the Bushida Code and their hard line of how people should live and stuff, what it would have been like under their control. I, I'm I'm haven't watched it yet, but I've heard people tell me the man in the, in the high tower that's on uh, Amazon uh, that that's been really good. This third season's been uh, really really good. I don't know if I may get to have uh, our buddy come in here, Zach, and tell me a little bit about it and uh, talk about how they showed you know if if the so if if the Germans had won, if the Japanese had won, how things would have. Well, speaking about how things have been, what are things going to be like? And that's what's going over at Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics. They're, uh, f- they're they got to be really close now, finishing up their uh, demo and the addition uh, to the Twelfth Street location here in Little Rock. That's their first location they opened back in the '80s, making it now a state-of-the-art facility. Latest technology in prosthetics and orthotics. I mean, you go buy it, it's got to be twice as big as it used to be. Huge waiting room now, very comfortable waiting room. They've got an area, ladies, just for you that uh, offers you privacy and comfort. Because they know, look, if you're a woman that's had breast cancer and you've lost a breast or both breasts, uh, you don't want to sit in some kind of antiseptic area looking at prosthetics. You want something that's comfortable and 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 warm and inviting and uh they offer that now uh at the uh, 12th street location they got people that can work right with you and take good care of you uh as you uh, make that transition and they have a new gate room as well to help you who are getting a prosthetic to make sure that uh it's not affecting the way that you walk or that it is affecting the way you walk and the way that they want it to affect the way you walk so that you have better mobility because that's their goal is to help you uh, reach uh, your 100% mobility that you can reach. Because with Horton's Orthotics and Prosthetics, they uh, they take good care of you all your life because they provide a lifetime of support. You know, one of the things that progressives do, that the left does, is that they take something and they compromise it and uh, the left has done that well uh, for years I'm going to play for you a, a piece from the new president of Planned Parenthood and I want you to listen to what she says 
and listen closely and see if you can if you can decipher what exactly she's talking about. We're going to start. It's cut number one, and uh, she talks about being worried about Roe v. Wade. Let's talk about what's been happening at the ballot box in the midterm elections. You had seven more governors who are pro-abortion rights were elected, but there were also anti-abortion measures that passed in the states of Alabama and West Virginia. Alabama specifically became the first state in the nation to enact what opponents call a personhood clause in its constitution. West Virginia became the first state to approve a measure stripping the state constitution of any abortion rights restrictions, including an issue about Medicaid funding. What's happening in the states? We're seeing mixed results. And um, we are seeing people rise up in record numbers in favor of women's health care. We have more than 25 governors now who are pro-women's health. We're also seeing solidly red states like Utah, Idaho, and Nebraska vote in favor of Medicaid expansion, which indicates that people want more health care, not less. And I strongly believe as a physician that health care has to be a fundamental human right and that women's health care is health care. So is this argument that Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned, is that hyperbole? There is a very real likelihood that Roe versus Wade could be overturned in this Supreme Court, which would leave 25 million women, which is a third of women of reproductive age in this country, without access to reproductive rights. Not Roe versus Wade itself, but essentially some other case that comes through that restricts abortion rights? Well, there are 15 cases right now that are just one step away from the Supreme Court. And in the last seven years, there have been 400 laws passed in different states that directly restrict women's access. And I am deeply concerned about this from a public health perspective. All right. Well, your first day on the job, you got a lot of work to do, it seems. <laughs> Thank you. Here's what so, I'm excited to do it. Yeah, Thank I you. can tell. Thank, Thank you. you for coming today. All right. Thank now, you. here's what's important about that. Russ, did you notice how they mixed up the terms women's health care, reproductive rights, and abortion? Did you notice how they mixed it all up so that you don't know what exactly they're speaking of? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she. this lady's name is Dr. Lena Wynn. She's the first doctor who's ever been the president of Planned Parenthood, and that's who you just heard. It was important to understand the semantics of what was being said. The uh, the reporter, and I don't know if it was reported. Was that the? I don't know if that was the 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 view or not. If that was one of them or was uh, one of the talking heads, because it didn't it didn't tell me that when I was looking at uh, the information. It just told me who the woman was from Planned Parenthood. But they've taken abortion is a surgical procedure that kills an unborn baby and they call they call that reproductive rights they merge those two together now if you go out and you talk to most people and somebody's running a campaign and they say to you well i want to make sure that women's reproductive rights are protected. Here's what I think most people think of. Well, I, I want to make sure 
that I have access to birth control. And by that, that they have access to the pill. Now, that's what I think the average American thinks. It's what comes across my mind when I hear reproductive, reproductive freedom. I don't think reproductive freedom means abortion, killing uh, a growing uh, infant. I don't think that, in my mind, that's not what we're talking about. Reproductive freedom is you can get the reproductive uh, uh, medicine that you need so that you don't become pregnant. That seems to me is reproductive freedom. Not, uh, you know, to be able to take a pill so that you can't, so that you won't get pregnant. I don't think it's to take the step over the line and saying, well, if I find out I'm pregnant, it means that I can, you know, kill whatever's in the womb. I don't see that as reproductive freedom. I see that as killing. Am I wrong? Did I miss something when I went through biology and when I went through you know, school, high school level science classes, uh, college biology classes. Did I miss something somewhere? I don't think so. Although I think a lot of those people have missed something because they keep changing, they change and they morph and they twist the language so that people won't think of it as being abortion. Now, they got to the end of that and they talked about abortion. They talked about that, and in fact, the doctor tried to pull it back as reproductive freedom. I'm going to play this again, just so I want you to go back and listen closely to how they pursued what they're talking about. You have to understand how they're talking and what they're doing. When you say reproductive freedom, it does not have the same emotional impact uh, on people as when you say abortion. Listen again to the uh, commentator and to uh, the new president of Planned Parenthood. Let's talk about what's been happening at the ballot box in the midterm elections. You had seven more governors who are pro-abortion rights were elected, but there were also anti-abortion measures that passed in the states of Alabama and West Virginia. Alabama specifically became the first state in the nation to enact what opponents call a personhood clause in its constitution. West Virginia became the first state to approve a measure stripping the state constitution of any abortion rights restrictions, including an issue about Medicaid funding. What's happening in the states? We're seeing mixed results. And um, we are seeing people rise up in record numbers in favor of women's health care. We have more than 25 governors now you hear who are pro-women's health. She didn't We're say abortion. She said women's red health states like Utah, Idaho, and Nebraska vote in favor of Medicaid expansion, which indicates Medicaid that people want more health care, not less. And I strongly believe as a physician that health care has to be a fundamental human right and that women's health care is health care. So is this argument that Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned, is that hyperbole? There is a very real likelihood that Roe versus Wade could be overturned in this Supreme Court. 
which would leave 25 million women, which is a third of women of Listen reproductive closely. age in this country, without access to reproductive rights. Not there Roe versus Wade itself, but essentially some other case that comes through that restricts abortion rights. Well, there are 15 cases right now that are just one step away from the Supreme Court. And in the last seven years, there have been 400 laws passed in different states that directly restrict women's access. And I am deeply concerned about this from a public health perspective. All right. Well, your first day on the job, you got a lot of work to do, wow. it seems. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited to do it. Yeah, Thank I you. As you listen you. to that, I hope that you heard how they soften and make more palatable what they're talking about. Women's health, Medicaid expansion, all of the all of these other terminologies that this doctor keeps throwing out instead of saying abortion because that's that's a flint to start a fire with people because people know what abortion means they do know what abortion means these people on the left try as hard as they can to keep away from it i liked how the reporter made the statement, and in Alabama they had a, can you believe this, a personhood bill. We'll talk more about it. Robert Steinbach has just stepped into the room. We'll talk about how the left twists language when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. You know, applied research is still looking for folks to take part in their clinical research studies they got going on, which explores the safety and effectiveness of investigational drugs and if you'd like to be part of some of these investigations and by the way the first thing i got there's a myth out there that i need to get rid of and that is that you're going to be like on the vanguard and you're the first person taking one of these drugs and all that and that is not the case these are the final in many cases is the final test on these drugs uh, so that the fda will approve them and let them be marketed so uh, let me tell you, a drug company that spends uh, uh, you know, billions of dollars on uh, developing a new drug uh, wants to make sure they know what the results are going to be in that final test because if not, they can throw away their money. I mean, I give you a real good example of that, Eli Lilly. Eli Lilly had spent many years developing a drug dealing with Alzheimer's. They thought they had the drug that would literally stop it in its tracks. And, uh, you know, their other big drug was Cialis. And they were out trying to get doctors to, you know, get their patients to use Cialis. And they had a whole wing of Eli Lilly in uh, Indianapolis. All the people in that worked on Cialis. So this drug went on for the final test, just like these tests that applied research does, and it failed. It failed, and they lost every shekel they had spent on developing this new drug. Well, guess what happened? That resonates through a whole company. That wing that had all those people, several hundred people, in fact, that were salespeople and uh, PR people and everything for Cialis is gone now. People that I got to know really well are gone. They don't work there anymore. You know, if you take the two drugs together, 
you take the Cialis and the one that doesn't work, you don't re- you don't know if the Cialis is working. I'm just going to yeah. leave it at that. Yeah. So anyway, kind of interesting. Uh, that's how this all works. You you play an integral part in being able to market a drug. Just know that. And you may not even get the drug. You may get the placebo, the the sugar pill. But I will tell you something else you'll get. You'll get compensated. You can make some fairly uh, good jack out of this. Uh, you go to arcarkansas.com, arcarkansas.com, and then click on each one of these different drugs that, that they got these studies and a little thing falls down, and it tells you exactly what you need to do to be able to qualify for the test. Then you can put your name in, and then the rest is up to the nurses and the doctors, and, and they'll talk to you uh, about it. That's all happening with Applied Research, arcarkansas.com, or you can call them 501-954-7822. All right, Robert Steinbach is here. He had a meeting today. That's why he ran a little late. I don't, don't want you to think he was tardy. He, he's on time. But he actually told me that he sat in his car and listened to that last section that I was doing about Planned Parenthood in that interview because – it is amazing if you listen to it, how they were trying to obscure using the word abortion. The interviewer was using it, but this new doctor that's the head of Planned Parenthood, Dr. Leanna Wynn, and it's W-E-N, by the way, she did everything possible to make her answer more palatable to you because when they say abortion, you know what that means. You know, for instance, but if you say reproductive rights, Medicaid expansion, and all the other things, well, you don't know exactly what. That can encompass a whole lot of stuff. Here, let's listen to that one more time, and then I'm going to let, the, I'm going to let uh, Robert Steinbach take, uh, take his shot at this. Let's talk about what's been happening at the ballot box. In the midterm elections, you had seven more governors who are pro-abortion rights were elected, but there were also anti-abortion measures that passed in the states of Alabama and West Virginia. Alabama specifically became the first state in the nation to enact what opponents call a personhood clause in its constitution. West Virginia became the first state to approve a measure stripping the state constitution of any abortion rights restrictions, including an issue about Medicaid funding. What's happening in the states? We're seeing mixed results. And um, we are seeing people rise up in record numbers in favor of women's health care. We have more than 25 governors now who are pro-women's health. We're also seeing solidly red states like Utah, Idaho, and Nebraska vote in favor of Medicaid expansion, which indicates that people want more health care, not less. And I strongly believe as a physician that health care has to be a fundamental human right and that women's health care is health care. So is this argument that Roe versus Wade is going to be overturned? Is that hyperbole? There is a very real likelihood that Roe versus Wade could be overturned in this Supreme Court, which would leave 25 million women, which is a third of women of reproductive age in this country, without access to reproductive rights. Not Roe versus Wade itself, but essentially some other case that comes through that restricts abortion rights? Well, there are 15 cases right now that are just one step away from the Supreme Court. And in the last seven years, there have been 400 laws passed in different states that directly restrict women's access. And I am deeply concerned about this from a public health perspective. All right. Well, your first day on the job, you got a lot of work to do, it seems. Did you notice how Dr. Wynn would not say abortion? 
Of course not. Because this is the problem with the debate. You can't have an honest debate about abortion. The debate about abortion is quite simple. Both sides, to some extent, are talking past each other. The left says it's a woman's right. And the right says, and the right is correct on this, by the way. Well, there's a third party interest at stake. By the way, Roe versus Wade recognizes that. In Roe versus Wade, there's a recognition of a third party, the baby's interests. It just says that the baby's interests don't come to be strong enough until somewhere in the second trimester. But the notion that there's a third party, there's another living entity, is acknowledged by all reasonable parties, including the authors of Roe versus Wade. But the left has gone so extreme now that they deny the fact that's in their Ten Commandments, right? Let's Roe versus Wade to the left are like the tablets given by God to Moses. And yet they deny the existence of what's in those tablets uh, to uh, the public when they talk about it. They won't say, as you aptly point out, the word abortion. They say reproductive rights. <laughs> you know what? <clears throat> I don't care what your position on abortion is. Uh, the notion that stopping a pregnancy is reproduction rights. It's anti-reproduction rights. You want to say that? Say that. Say the the right to stop reproduction. Yeah, I go. Okay. Okay. At least just being intellectually honest. honest. Right. That's a thing. These people are not honest in what they say. You cannot have a debate about abortion without recognizing that there is a baby involved in the process at some point. Now the left wants to say, (coughs) excuse me, well, it's not a baby until this point or that point. Uh, We can discuss that. But the extreme left doesn't say that. I should have been more clear. I think liberals will say that. The extreme left won't say that. That's why you noticed that Donald Trump um, flummoxed uh, Hillary Clinton on the question regarding late-term abortion, she said, well, it's a woman's right. And he said, that's disgusting that there's no even willingness to acknowledge that a day before a birth would be naturally given that there's a baby involved because the left has sold out to the strict pro-abortion movement that denies you know, they talk about climate denial, right? You hear the left saying, oh, climate deniers, denying science. Let me give you a little science. It's called the birds and the bees. And when a man and a woman get together and the woman becomes pregnant, that thing that comes out of her is a baby. And the day before it comes out of her, it's a baby. And the day before that, it's a baby. So if you accept that, then we can have a discussion about abortion. But until you do that, you're making this up. You're making I was going to say something else, but I realized we're on the air. Yeah. You're you're making it up. <laughs> so yeah. that's my thought. Well how you know, is it not amazing to you as you listen to the uh, the reporter? And in Alabama they had an a, a law a personhood a personhood clause to their constitution. And just by the way, you know what that is, Dave? That's a conservative amendment to the constitution that basically says no abortion or a recognition that that there is a life uh, at all times involved. 
It's basically an anti-abortion amendment to the Constitution, which, of course, conservatives have been talking about for a long time. Uh, so there's nothing surprising about that. Now, those who want to, to continue to be able to have abortions or give abortions or have others have abortions are going to be against that. I get that. That's okay. I, I get that we have a difference of opinion on this, but you can't have a difference of opinion on fact. Yeah, And the I fact agree. is that the day before a mother gives birth to a baby, there is a baby inside that mother. Yeah, and guess what? If you go back to when the beginning of of that baby began to develop we're talking differences in development we're not talking in the end result here it is a human being that's being developed so please don't tell me it's not a human being because it is a human being it's i'm i've never understood the the logical uh thoughts of people who are pro-abortion not pro-choice you're pro look if you're pro-choice you're pro-abortion. If you said that you were pro, you were a pro-choice and murder, I'd say you're you're pro-choice. You're, 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 pro you're pro-murder. You know. So, bottom line is, there is no difference between the beginning on the the uh, you know the zygote, so to speak, and then you, they want to talk about a fetus. Fetus means little one in Greek. So they knew it was a, a baby. It was just in a stage of development. When you get to the point where you can decide at which state of development you want to end life, it doesn't end at the birth canal, folks. It starts up at the other end of life then, and ending life. Do you, should you be using resources that you know a younger guy could use? I just uh, well, and and same uh, argument. And to go back to your point, these are, as she says, reproductive rights. Uh, let's stop with the the make believe language. These yeah. are anti reproductive rights. Well, they just take they take the, the the language, Robert, and they turn it on its head. Yeah, turn, it, turn it on its it, head, and then try to soften it. Of course they do. Of course they do. Medicaid because, expansion yeah. meant abortion in that interview. Women's health care oh, was abortion. But by the way, at the end, she said, everybody wants more health care. Yeah. yeah. Everybody wants rainbows and unicorns, too. Okay. <laughs> everybody wants more free stuff. Really? Really? That's your argument? Everybody wants more free stuff? No kidding. Yeah. Pregnant pause intended. Yeah. And pun intended as well. Or maybe I unintended. <laughs> I got you. I think that's a clause that our own, that, that personhood clause is a piece of legislation that our legislature should be taking up. That's my personal thought Mm -hmm. on that. It's the cleanest way to undo abortion rights. But just remember, just to be clear, right now, abortion rights are guaranteed by the federal constitution. Just to be clear, before I get the letters, I mean through interpretation of the constitution by the Supreme Court. So we can change whatever we want, in the state constitution, that is not going to be controlling because the pre- federal constitution obviously preempts the state constitution. With that said, that personhood clause, it's going to make its way to the Supreme Court. All right. And then it's going to get interesting. 100%. Just tell you, it's going to get interesting. Okay, break. We got more coming. Robert Steinbach is here. He's with us until 5, 5 o'clock. Got a special for veterans today uh, during the 4 o'clock hour. 
conduit uh, news will join us as well all right back with you dave ellswick show robert steinbach is here if you've been following the news at all you know uh you know things are going weird in arizona with the election i heard i have not been able to verify that they're saying now that cinema may have won the senate slot and then uh out in in florida they're starting to recount so i want play a couple of pieces of audio for you and then we'll get what uh, the professor has to say. Cory Gardner talked about Arizona, uh, the Arizona election. Here's what was said. Senate race in Arizona uh, is also right now still too close to call. Uh, the NRSC sent out a press release accusing the top uh, Maricopa County election official in Arizona of, quote, using his position to cook the books for Kirsten Cinema. That's the Democrat in that race. But the Republican governor of Arizona, um, Ducey, Republican secretary of state, they've all voiced support for the process. We haven't heard any complaints from the Republican Senate candidate, uh, Congresswoman Martha McSally. Is there any evidence to support that the Maricopa County elections official are cooking the books? Well, I think what, uh, what, what we've seen in Arizona is an attempt to make sure, like in Florida, that we're treating everybody equally under the law. Uh, there had been concern that in Maricopa uh, a process was being used to determine signatures or validation of ballots that differed from places in other parts of the county, uh, the other parts of the state, other counties in the state. So whether it was Yuma or Maricopa or other uh, places, they were concerned that, that Maricopa was holding a standard that was not being allowed to count votes in other parts of the state. So uh, I believe there's been an agreement amongst the counties uh, with uh, the officials there to count everything the same, to follow the same procedure. And that's important because, you know, a, a vote that's cast in, in Yuma it shouldn't be disqualified under the same provision that qualifies a vote in Maricopa. A legally cast vote, wherever it is legally cast, should count the same, not with differing standards amongst the offices. I know, but your organization accused a, an election official of cooking the books, and I don't see any evidence of any illegality. There are questions about, uh, there, if you want to get technical here, about what emergency voting is in Maricopa County. The law is very vague. Maricopa County set up four emergency voting stations before Election Day, uh, two of them, by the way, in Republican areas, Mesa and Scottsdale, uh, and different counties interpret that vague law in different ways. That's not cooking the books. And I just I keep hearing uh, well, your, the organization say, you chair accuse people of voter, breaking the law. Voter, and I don't. All right. Evidence of it. Yeah. If you're a voter in Arizona and you're you, you cast a vote in Yuma and you cast a vote in Phoenix. Legally, you did it the same. And your vote in Yuma is disqualified. Your vote in Maricopa is not disqualified. Is that fair? I, I, I defer to the... Is that fair? I, I defer to the governor and the secretary of state of Arizona. They're both Republicans, and they say everything is going according to how it should be going. Now, if you have issues with county-by-county county election processes, whether it's in Florida or Arizona then, you know, I'm, I don't want to stand in the way of you introducing legislation saying every state has to do it the exact same way. But if the Republican governor... Well, no, that's, Republican that, I'm not talking about federalizing elections. I'm talking about the state of Arizona. I'm not talking about federal legislation. I, don't, I think federalizing the elections would be a bad idea. Uh, I think making sure that as a, if you're in Arizona, that the vote you cast legally counts. I think that's what we're trying to do. That's what was reached. Sure. That's the agreement that was well, reached in well, Arizona, and I think that's a good outcome. But where's the evidence that anybody was cooking the books? Well, we had evidence right, that people we'll were treating that ballots right there. differently. Tell you, if they're treating ballots differently, you're cooking the books. You know, here's the beauty of this. We were just talking about the abusive language. 
This guy comes out and he says, look, apparently the, the ballots are being treated di- differently in different counties. And so some – if you live in one county, your vote would count. And the same behavior, whatever it may be, in a different county, your vote wouldn't count. And he says, I, I, that's cooking the books. And Jake uh, Tapper all of a sudden said, well, that's not the correct use of that language. I love how the left or the language police on both ends. They change the meaning of words to suit themselves, and then they abandon all reasonable meaning of normal terms. The same thing with the caravan, right? They said, oh, Trump called it an invasion. That's patently false, says the left. You don't have to call it an invasion. You can think it's benign. You can think it's happy. You can think it's a party. But... You could also call it an invasion and not abuse the language, quite to be clear. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fair characterization. I, I don't think it's an invasion that's going to overwhelm our country to, to the point of revolution, but that 5,000 people are coming into our, uh, are attempting to come into our country against the law, I think it's fair to characterize that as a, an invasion. If you don't want to, knock yourself out. But don't tell other people that the normal use of words is abnormal. And that's what Jake Tapper is trying to do here. I saw that when it occurred, you know, when I watched the Sunday morning oh, shows. Oh, you saw it, huh? Yeah. Okay. And I'm thinking, at the time, I'm thinking to myself, boy, I, I love two things. One, first of all, Jake uh, Tapper all of a sudden is the word police. He's going to determine what every word means. And you got to go to, it's Jake Webster Tapper. You got to determine every, what every word, you got to run every word through Jake Webster Tapper. And then the second thing is that he says, oh, I defer to the governor, the Republican. Really? Uh, you defer to the, the Republican governor on this one issue because it suits your needs. So don't defer to authority when it happens to be the outcome that you want. And the next day, when the governor says something you don't like, you say, well, I'm here to challenge government. I'm here to challenge authority. Don't defer. How about defer to this? English language. And it's perfectly normal to say when votes are not treated the same in different counties within one state, that's cooking the books. Again, you don't have to say that. You can use some more benign treatment, more benign language for that type of behavior. But don't tell someone else they're wrong. You're not the word police and you're wrong on your interpretation of the language. All right. We got to take a break. Robert Steinbach, he's revved up today. He'll be back with us in the next hour. So will Conduit News. we got a lot of things to talk with him. I'm going to play Josh Holmes saying that Broward County has been at the center of fraud and elections for the last 25 years. Stick around. We're going to talk about that when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Four o'clock. Robert Steinbach is here to join us with Conduit News, who joins us by phone from Northwest Arkansas. You guys getting any snow up there? They said you're going to get some snow, maybe. Oh, only enough to sell bread and milk at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> I I got to get my uh, my Claxton joke so I can start playing that when we have the chance of some snow. Because you're exactly right. Milk sandwiches just go like hotcakes. You're exactly and gasoline. right. Gasoline. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody fills up with gasoline. Yep. That's it. Both of them. But you know, being a prepared is the way to go. All right, so we've been talking, and I want to get you all involved in this right off the bat. We've been talking about the election last Tuesday. It's almost been a week now. In Florida, they're no closer to knowing who the winner is than they probably were when they started uh, running the the election last Tuesday, although they probably had predetermined that the two Democrats were going to win. And now they got all kinds of weird stuff going on. The same thing in Arizona. Uh, I'm hearing that the Arizona governor, and, and we just heard this uh, on some Jake Tapper uh, 
voice that we played. And the Secretary of State are saying they're not seeing any kind of mess going on there. And Corey uh, Gardner said, but if somebody votes a certain way in, you know, Tucson, and then they vote the same way up in, uh, let's say, Maricopa County, the same way, and one vote gets gets counted and the other doesn't, that means somebody's cooking the book somewhere. And, of course, Jake Tapper says, but that's not, that's not the real definition of cooking the books and all yeah, that. He's, so, he's the word police all yeah, of a sudden. Yeah, he is. He's the word police. So I want to play for you what uh, Josh Holmes said over the weekend about Broward County. You guys ready to listen a little bit about Broward County? And then I want to hear what you have to say about it. Okay. All right, here we go. Brenda and Joe here from Conduit News. This is cut number three. What's going on in Florida is a disgrace. Take a look at the total dishonesty of what happened with respect to Broward County. President Trump blasting election officials counting votes in some parts of Florida. And we're back now with the panel. Well, Josh, the president is raising questions about vote fraud, stealing elections, and not just in Florida. Uh, He tweeted this, just out in Arizona, signatures don't match. Electoral, Electoral corruption call for a new election. We must protect our democracy. Do you see fraud or just close races? Well, we know they're close races. I think the question is, what more is there? I mean, you have Mark Elias, who's the Democratic lawyer who went down to Florida, who said his intent was to go down and have Bill well- Bill Nelson win this race. He didn't go down to find an accurate Democratic vote count. He went down to find the votes enough to win, which, is, of course, is exactly what Mark Elias did in Minnesota in 2008 for Al Franken. So I can understand the skepticism here. You have that coupled with the fact that Broward County has been the center of fraud and mismanagement in terms of elections for the last 25 years, and they did find 93,000 ballots after Election Day. And I I, I noted uh, with interest in your interview with the governor that he said these laws are in in place. They just weren't complied with. And I think that and, of course, what we're having in Arizona, which is a very different set of of rules than most of us across the country are, are accustomed to, warrants some skepticism. All right. Let me just start with you all. As you just joined us on the show, Brenda, with you first, and Joe, you get to join in, and then uh, we'll get uh, Robert to join in. Well, I've been sort of shocked to hear that, uh, you know, different uh, reporters have interviewed people and asked, even um, Governor Scott, is there fraud going on in Florida? And, uh, you know, in my world, when people don't follow the law, that is fraud. And so I'm, I'm concerned why suddenly not following the law is not considered fraud when we're discussing these votes and vote counting. Yeah, for me, it's, it's as simple as I, I believe it's been demonstrated for decades, if not a century, that the Democrat Party is held to no standard. And so whatever it takes to win is what we expect them to do. We don't even, we're not even surprised by it. I mean, look at, uh, you can read some history on uh, Lyndon Bain Johnson and how he was elected in Texas. <laughs> Lord and, have uh, mercy. You know, there, there are all kinds of uh, points in history when someone is proven to have stolen uh, the votes enough to win an election. And it certainly, elections have consequences. So this is stealing the, uh, you know, the ends the the ends, ends justify the means to a lot of people in this scenario 
and I would like to see the um, conservatives, Republicans, become as tough and and as determined as our uh, president is. Yeah, I think that they made uh, Josh made a really good point when he said Elias went down to make sure that Nelson was the the Florida senator. He didn't go down as Josh said. We're going to go down to make sure every vote's counted to see where this all turns out at. It was, I'm going to make sure that Nelson is elected, just as they said he did with Al Franken uh, back in, in Minnesota when they stole the election up there. No doubt in my mind they stole that election up there. So, you know, Joe, I mean, what, what is it going to take for uh, us to stop this stuff? Smaller government, because you're not going to stop it. A smaller government that has so little effect on our daily lives that it doesn't matter what they do. What, 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 what's your way? What you're saying is take the money out of it, right? Reduce the money. Sure, reduce the amount of money that the federal government has to deal with, keep people from you know killing us or taking our stuff, and then leave us alone in every other arena. And until we see that as the solution, and I would say stop standing around discussing whether or not this is really happening, and yes, it's happening, and you know, discussing, is that what they're doing? Would they be, you know, he's going down there to win the election, act accordingly. Do you want to win the election? You know, I thought Scott was pretty slow to file his lawsuit, knowing he should have known what they were doing. I'm sure he probably did. We just don't know all the background. And, and this is not something foreign to Arkansas. I, I remember years back, we, we were down in White County uh, talking to a newly elected person, and uh, he described the voter rolls that were there, and he used his hands to show that it was about you know two feet tall, a stack, and then when he got all the uneligible or dead uh, people down, it was about an inch and a half thick. And that was going on in White County in Arkansas, and it was just like business as usual. When I was in law school, uh, we were called to, you know, be the, the poll watchers in my law school class, first-year law school students, in Marshall, Arkansas, the only Republican county at that time. This was the presidential election, and um, I had the luxury or the, the thrill to represent who, lately, who was the county judge at that time. You know, when I was in law school, you can imagine how many years ago that was, but um, the county judge told me, yeah, I remember when y'all came. We were back there stealing the votes when y'all were in there eating cookies. <laughs> so we laughed, you know. Yeah, everybody laughs, but don't realize they're telling you the truth. Well, and that's the broader point he, he here. He was not kidding. Right, the broader well, point is that... human nature to change. I mean, the, the Democrats talk about, you know, perfecting the human condition, but we all know better. Uh, people are going to do what people do. There's mostly good ones, but there's always going to be those bad ones, and the bad ones are going to do what they do. You know, quit being shocked. All right, let's talk over to Robert. Go ahead, Robert. Right, and so the broader point here is that we we have a couple of examples, at least, where state officials are saying, we need to step in, we're concerned about fraud, and all the left media keeps saying, you haven't proven fraud, you haven't proven fraud. I can't prove or disprove fraud at this juncture, because fraud is the, in this case, election fraud, is the hidden behavior of messing with votes of of fabricating votes of throwing away ballots that you think are not going to be favorable to your candidate and so what the elected officials are doing is saying 
We need to make it transparent, right? This is what I do. The Freedom of Information Act is about transparency. We need to make sure that everything going on is transparent, everything is turned over to the public, uh, and the left, again, playing the word police, you haven't proven fraud. They don't have to prove fraud. They have to prove irregularity in the behavior of the uh, voting officials so they can step in and make it transparent. That's what they're talking about when they talk about fraud in the election. It's not an after-the-fact determination. We do know, for example, I think it's in in Florida, that one uh, election official admitted that they mixed disqualified ballots in with qualified ballots. That's that one lady, I forget what her her name is, and she said, well, we're just going to count both of them. Right. Well, that means that you've disenfranchised at least 50% of them. Right. That's, That's an example of fraud. That, that's simple. That's what that is. So we should be concerned about these things. Remember, it's the same left that tells you we don't need voter ID. Really, is it? Here's the thing. Is it so tough? Is it to- so tough? Oh, there's some old grandmother who lives on the end of a dirt road, has no phone, television, and internet, and she can't get the ID. Okay, you know what? Write in the law that, that you'll drive out to her. Because one example does not defeat the notion behind the law. By the way, when I went to vote the other day, they were requiring IDs, and nobody seemed to have a problem. Not a problem at all. Why? Because I live in Little Rock, and you cannot live in Little Rock without an ID. How are you going to go to the bank? How are you going to get into government building? Uh, So it's just nonsense that the left is is uh, uh, trying to continually come up with systems where they can squeeze in illegitimate votes. And voter ID, for the most part, for the most part, and I'll address that in a second, is simply about ensuring that our system is fair. Uh, and when I say for the most part, I do think there have been from time to time individuals using it uh, in an attempt to manipulate. Like, I don't think you should have a voter ID system that only allows, say, hunting licenses, but doesn't allow some license or ID that would be more prevalent amongst liberals. Hunting li- licenses, theoretically, are something that conservatives are more likely to get. No, it should be. If it's a government ID, it's a government ID. And any government ID that's reasonably created with some sort of verification uh, should count but beyond that it's common sense and the left keeps getting caught with making arguments that are against common sense well now now robert on that topic you know a lot of the universities are are just giving ids uh, other states are giving ids without any verification process because they are just sanctuary type minded people and when they accept those ids at voting stations they have circumvented the intent as well. Oh, for sure. Look, I I agree with you that, that because, you know, a school ID is sort of a quasi-governmental ID, right? A school, a public school is part of the government, but a school ID doesn't have to follow any uh, requirements. It's up to the school to determine what requirements. And I don't know what they require. I have a school ID because I teach at the university. I don't remember what they required of me, if anything, but maybe they did. I, I just don't recall. So I take your point that all government IDs aren't created equal, and that's why I said that you need a reasonable verification process for the government ID. Uh, so I accept that. Uh, but after that, it should be, it, we shouldn't be screening sort of pro-left or pro-right uh, government-styled IDs. I agree with that. 
you know, I think that they're starting to to make the argument, and this is this is what the left does, uh, and anybody does in a in a negotiation. Uh, I, I call it the uh, Overton window arguments or the strategy is they'll they'll put some flag way out here in left field and hope that they'll get mostly towards it just by bringing that up. And for example, in Florida, the, there are people, and it's being reported, that would advocate for look these people live here. You know, they may not be legal, but they still are under those laws, so that they should have representation oh in the creation and administration of these laws. That, that's the argument they're be beginning to make again. Right. In California, for sure. And it's awful. Well, I mean, it's uh, an awful argument. It really is just... Well, what don't uh, you know about the motives of these people by that? Well, if you can't elect someone who can count votes according to the law, then your votes should not count. I mean, we have to have a rule of law that we follow, and when we don't, we have chaos, and that always benefits those who are creating the chaos. You know, I, I would hope that Florida will be able to bow up and follow the rules of law that they've put in place. Well, but are they, are they operated like Arkansas, the, the election apparatus is by county, and then those people are elected, so what can you do to those people if they do whatever they do? I mean, what's the, what's the downside? I mean, to me it would be if, if you did this mixing of the votes like that, then whatever that person's area of responsibility is no votes that she has control over are counted that's what i said and you so, don't get your vote counted yeah, yeah none of them are counted and if the people don't like it then they should have elected somebody who wouldn't cheat yeah right. exactly i i agree with that wholeheartedly take a break we'll be back with more of course folks from conduit news brenda and joe are with us here on the dave ellswick show as well as robert steinbach he is law professor at ualr let me give his Provunctory uh, statement. Mm -hmm. I got to disclaim that his opinions are his and his alone and not necessarily those of the School of Law or UALR, but I always like to add in they should be. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break. Uncle Sam licking his chops right now. Can't wait for you to retire because he could tax you at every turn, including taxes on your IRA and 401k, taxes on your Social Security benefits, taxes on your investment income. It could be a field day for the government unless you take steps to defend yourself now. That's why you're invited to a special one-time screening of the documentary film, The Power of Zero. The tax train is coming on Thursday, November 29th at UA Breckenridge Theater here in Little Rock, brought to you by the David Lucas Show. You hear it here on 101.1 FM, The Answer, uh, at uh, 10 and 3 on Saturday. The event is free, but it's limited to just 90 people. If you've saved uh, $500,000 for retirement, call to reserve your free ticket now at 501-653-6690. That's 501-653-6690. 501-653-6690. All right, back with you. We're going to finish it up uh, this hour live, just so you know, 5 o'clock. I won't be here. Uh, we'll be playing for you a special uh, for uh, Veterans Day. This one dealing with uh, the people who stood in line for hours to uh, go out and fight World War II. Because this is Veterans Day. I mean, uh, the day was yesterday, the 11th, you know, day, 11th hour, 11th minute, blah, blah, blah. But uh, into World War One, 
today is the day we celebrate it, so we will celebrate it as well by playing a special at 5 o'clock. That's why the good folks from uh, Conduit News are with us in this hour with uh, Robert Steinbach. Don't forget about Sonny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. They got my car done. I, here's what's cool about them. It took them a little longer than they expected. I've got a rental that I'm driving back and forth to work. I'll take the rental back to my house tonight, and my car will be waiting for me. They're taking it to my house. They put a new transmission in. They uh, flashed it. They took it to Joe's to be tested because they want to make sure they got it all right, and then it would be brought to my house. They do a great job. What can I say? You can use Sonny's Auto Salvage, too. And I had that transmission put in. It's got a three-year parts and labor, unlimited mileage on it. So for three years, I don't have to worry about anything dealing with that transmission. And believe me, I will drive over 36, 40,000, 50,000 miles. I may get up there pretty close to 90,000 miles. So uh, most people offer you a a warranty to be like two years, 24,000 miles. Man, I do that easy six months. Just saying, that's I drive my car a lot. So call Sunny's Auto Salvage, number one choice for recycled auto parts. Save 50% basically on the part, and then get yourself a great warranty so you don't have to worry about anything. 982-7451, 982-7451, that's Sunny's Auto Salvage. All right, back. Robert is here as well as Brenda and Joe are up in northwest Arkansas. They haven't seen any snow yet. They're saying that you guys may see two inches, but uh, Joe did say they were clearing out the bread and the milk uh, from uh, Walmart uh, as we were speaking and running the gas stations dry, just so you will know. All right, with that said, let's talk a little bit about something you asked me today, Brenda. Okay, I got to take a break for news, and then I'll be back with more after the news here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you. Okay, so here was the question. Uh, Brenda and I were talking this morning, Joe, and she, I don't. I think she sent you a CC on this, but holding, uh, what more important, holding promises for a politician, does that really affect whether you win or lose an, an election, or is it special interest money that uh, guarantees you a win or a loss. So I'll start with you, Brenda, since you're the one who brought this this uh, can of worms up. You take off and tell us what you think. Well, I believe that in Arkansas we do have um, a very large influence by special interest in our elections. And we, we uh, published a follow-the-money report, Conduit for Commerce, just a, a few weeks back, and I referenced that. And we show where the money has come from to support candidates in Arkansas. Charlie Collins is a more progressive Republican in northwest Arkansas, and he has been Joe and my uh, House member, State House uh, member, and he was recently defeated by a Democrat. And I noticed that our Senate uh, President Pro Tem-elect Jim Hendren had attributed that loss to Conduit, and which I find to be quite amazing. But Charlie, Joe, and I followed him, supported him from 2010 on, on until um, he decided to go back on his promises. 
Charlie has been leaning progressive. He he was one of the primary five vote Republicans that elected Davy Carter in support of BB, and then um, helped design in the background the Medicaid expansion piece, and has been promoting that. The difference in Charlie and a lot of Republicans, I would say, that we disagree with. Charlie's fairly honest about where he stands now that after he got elected, but. I would say that, you know, maybe Jim Hendren was right in the sense that his base that helped him get there may have not been so excited, but certainly the progressives who decided to focus on certain races knew they could take that uh, Democrat district and uh, elect a, a, a House member, which they were successful at doing. I would say Charlie would have had more of an opportunity to have won that district had his own uh, voter base come out in support. And that's very much like what you see in the U.S. uh, congressional races that uh, Trump pointed out in his press conference the day after the election. And I heard um, Jim Jordan last night on the Levin program talking about when when, um, candidates or politicians don't hold to their promises, they're much uh, more likely to be defeated rather than um, um, elected when they go against a, a strong opponent on the other side. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, I think we've seen in Arkansas that the policy is really determined in the primaries, and and that's where our focus uh, and our disappointment has been that the special interest money in the primaries have had more effect than anything else. Uh, as far as you know, trying to soften your you know, conservative stance to be elected in a more challenging district. You know, I will never agree that that, that is a, a formula for success. You know, it's proven not to be. And even if it was, then what would you have gained had you won? You just get more and more progressive as time goes on. And, you know, it, it doesn't seem like the progressives ever seem to go the conservative way an inch. But the conservatives go the progressive way to try to be in the favor of more people, and they always give ground. It's a one-way street that I've not seen go back the other way in my lifetime. And I would say the one thing that the moderate, concert, quote, conservative um, politicians or vote has in common with all the others is it grows government. Uh, moderates grow government. Or, you know, of course the liberals do. That's what their their positions are. Well, well they say that, you know, we we can't hit a home run every time. You got to move the ball five yards. But but the problem is they're moving it five yards backwards every time. Well, you know, I I didn't follow all the details of Charlie's race because I'm down here in Little Rock. But I will say this: Charlie has been an unequivocal supporter of the Second Amendment and the state version. You know, we call them all Second Amendment rights, uh, gun rights. Uh, he's the one that uh, perhaps almost single handedly. Uh, not literally, right, um, brought into place the enhanced carry regime, which has expanded the rights of concealed carry permit holders to carry throughout the state. I testified on his bill's behalf probably eight years ago or something, and that was the first incarnation of that bill. It failed then when the Democrats were in control. And that was Robert's fault. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and they saw me and they ran away from it. I have no doubt. That's why I've got a face for radio. Uh, and so uh, um, I testified then and I think he tried two more legislative sessions until he was able to finally 
uh, get it passed. Um, now, I haven't followed what you all at Conduit have done relative to Charlie in terms of endorsing or non-endorsing, uh, but I uh, do agree with the following notion, and, and I, I present it as a caution uh, to uh, Republicans and conservatives. If you have a candidate like Charlie Collins, who is solidly conservative uh, uh, on at least Second Amendment issues, you will never get that from a Democrat. Uh, and if if that candidate, be it Charlie or some uh, fictional character for the purposes of this discussion, moves left on some issues because he thinks it's politically wise to do, even though it's sort of contrary to to a principled stance. Um, uh, Generally, you're better off voting for and supporting that candidate than having the Democrat win. And in this, in Charlie's case, the Democrat won. And that's a big uh, liberal uh, who got uh, took Charlie's moderately or more conservative position. So I don't think we win by having Charlie lose. Uh, and so I'm always worried when people try to take two principles to stance and they cut their nose off despite their face. You know, I could agree with that in a, a theoretical sense. In the practical sense, Charlie Collins' absence from the legislature will not change the important conservative uh, legislation that's going to happen or not happen. It, you know, do you need 77 votes or do you need 76? It doesn't matter. But it could change the progressive vote had he stayed there. Exactly. And, and you know, you got to be careful what you wish for because when you get it, is it is it going to achieve your goal? And I, and I understand what uh, 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 Professor Steinbach said, uh, but again, if we are continually reduced to the lesser of two evils, which we did endorse Charlie, uh, but if we're continuously presented with those choices, then all is lost in the end anyway. Yeah, and you know that's the interesting part. Conduit did not oppose Charlie, sure, and we get credit Good. for it. But Good. our point is, when a candidate moves or takes a position opposite of his promises, oh, you should criticize. Disinterested, and that's the yeah. the warning sign that we're trying to tell the Republican Party across the board: hold to your principles and stop trying to hold to the uh, positions of your special interest groups that support your races. And and I agree with you all. Uh, you got yourself a, a Republican candidate who moves away on a particular issue. You are not only free to, obviously, you should say, hey, uh, we're still supporting you over the Democrat, but we don't like what you did here. This is not consistent with our conservative ideals and because the alternative is just a knee jerk endorsement of every Republican candidate. And that's almost as bad, perhaps not as bad, but almost as bad as the the opposite uh, uh, action that I was discussing a moment ago. So good for you if you endorsed him, but you criticized him where you thought it was appropriate, whether or not I agree or others agree, you're free and, and should, you know, voice your opinion. Well, I think then then you sort of st- uh, walk that line appropriately. Well, it is difficult and most people don't get into enough detail or pay attention over a long enough period of time to even understand the even the subtleties of an issue, right. and the that, complexities of right. one, if there's a distinction there. Right. So, I think there is, actually. So there yeah. are not, it, it's not only what uh, the candidate in particular would say to his voters or his uh, wannabe supporters, it's what the Republican platform stands for. And if if you you know go along with those, but then your voting record is then you know clearly laid out for the public, and then you attack the people who put out the record, 
then that seems a little hypocritical and and not on the up and up. Well, I mean, Medicaid expansion, that ship has sailed. Would y'all please be quiet about that? So that's an example of back in the day when we were able to argue that position, and there were five uh, House members who were the Republican or, or you know, Senate in-House who were moving us in that direction with everybody kicking and screaming, and we still had a chance to defeat it. Uh, how much poison do you want to drink? And that was not a small issue. That oh gosh, was one no. of the larger oh, issues gosh, no. in the history of Arkansas government. Absolutely, it's a, it's a huge issue. I, I would uh, put it on par with what we were just talking about on the Second Amendment issues, uh, issues, which I think, and I'm not trying. I, I'm saying they are. Those are probably two of the biggest modern day. Uh, conservative political issues, the expansion, uh, essentially Obamacare, right? Um, the the state uh, implementation. It is. Exactly. Well, not uh, according to the governor. Oh, is that right? You see, I haven't followed it close enough. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll call it uh, the the derivative of Obamacare <laughs> and uh, yeah, second. It is Obamacare. Well, well, said. well said. Thank you. And and Second Amendment rights. Um, Second Amendment rights, for the first time in our history, are on the upswing. And it's really, uh, uh, you know, since uh, like the 18th uh, and early 19th uh, century, maybe, yeah, early 19th, maybe mid-19th century. But since then, our Second Amendment rights have been whittled away to be non-existent. And only now, well, in the last... 10 years maybe, uh, we start to see a resurgence and a recognition. That's indeed the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. And of course, uh, Arkansas and I think every state uh, has their own version thereof as well. All right. I got to get a break in. When we come back, let's uh, talk about another issue that Brenda wanted to talk about. And I wanted to talk about it. I've got some audio I want to play for you. The French uh, French president from the World War One. Uh, you know, celebration that they had. I know what you're getting to. Now, if you, yeah, you, oh, oh boy, oh boy. If you want a Stage. career working outdoors, <laughs> serving your community, like to work with your hands, like take care of things outdoors, then uh, look no farther than PI Roofing. They're looking for people. They'll pay you up to twenty bucks if you're good enough, and uh, you can be involved with their business. PI Roofing Home Solutions expanding their operations department to better serve their customers as they grow. How about uh, the commercial roofing side and service division, residential roofing and service division, home solutions division? You know, grow your career by being part of the PI roofing business. Send your uh, resume to piroofing.com or call them 501-707-3551. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Got the last few minutes here. Let's hear what the French president had to say about World War I. Let us not forget, because the remembrance of these sacrifices urges us to be worthy of those that died for us, so that we may live free. Let us remember, let us take away nothing of what was pure, of the ideals of the lofty principles of our elders' patriotism. This vision of France as a generous nation, of France as a project, as France, the bearer of universal values, 
was displayed during these dark hours as the very opposite of the selfishness of a nation which only looks after its own interests because patriotism is the exact opposite of nationalism. Nationalism is a betrayal of patriotism by saying, our interests first, who cares about the others? We erase what a nation holds dearest, what gives it life, what makes it grace, and what is essential, its moral values. Let us remember, we in France, what Jean Clemenceau proclaimed on the day of victory 100 years ago to this day before the National Assembly, after which members of the Parliament started chanting the French National Anthem, he said, France, fighting for rights and lawfulness, fighting for freedom, France shall always and forever be the soldier defending aspirations. Those are the values, those are the virtues that drove those whom we honor today, those who made the ultimate sacrifice in the battles they fought for their nation and for democracy. These values and virtues made them strong because they guided their hearts. No, I got, I, I've heard a load of crap before. But that is the biggest load, steaming pile of horse manure I've ever heard. Would you guys agree? That was the biggest waste of radio time I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) 2014, I was in Paris, and we were sitting out, you know, having some wine, and this uh, nice businessman comes up, sits down, and he visits with us, and he tells me that France is too nice. And that business, you know, he's telling me how his business had changed and that in 10 years from that point, I could come to Paris and I would not recognize it. It would be so changed because the taxes are so high and the burdens are so great on the people. And, you know, he sounded uh, like he could use some nationalism. But, you know, the French, I mean, Joe said, I don't want them defending my rights. And I said, oh, you mean from prisoner war count? I mean, come on. You know, only people who can afford to be nice can be nice. And obviously France has, um, you know, enjoyed some prosperity. Well, here's the... Yeah, here, hey, Joe. Guy. If, if he's not into nationalism, those Muslims in this country are certainly are. Yeah, here's... Yeah, the Germans certainly always have been. Weird question. So somebody's going to be into nationalism on that piece of ground someday. If you it talk... interesting, you know, England wasn't represented there. I mean, someone might have been there, but they were over there in their country celebrating their own, you know, having their own celebrations. And I thought perhaps maybe next year Trump will stay where he belongs and celebrate them here where, where we can, you know, uh, appreciate it. But, you know, I mean, I think he probably expected uh, France to do such a thing. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, I thought a lot about some, some larger issues and how do you summarize. Uh, you, you hear a lot of people talking about, well, you know, Arizona belongs to the Mexicans because they occupied it and the Indians had the, the land in America and we took it away. Well, who owned it before them? And, and it, it just occurs to me that there's an absolute truth in this world, and that is land belongs to a people that are strong enough to hold it. Well, and that's like uh, liberty and freedom belong to people who are strong enough to keep it. You know, exactly. here's a republic if you can keep it. So that, yeah, that's the bottom line. And you know, I'm not really counting on Mr. Macron to represent me in, in any 
uh, global event. Well, here, here can, can I look, let me just jump in real quick? Any yeah, let me just yeah, jump well, in. This isn't Obama anymore. Yeah, let me jump in real quick to make the point. Ask any of those soldiers, and I, I know you can't ask World War One or World War Two for the most part because they're almost gone too. But you ask any soldier that is wearing the uniform of his country who he fights for, and he'll say he fights for his country. That's nationalism. Nationalism and patriotism are exactly the same thing. I mean, you can't deny that. Yeah, one of them is more of an emotional descriptor, whereas the other one is an activity descriptor. But I think the irony is that they're mad because we want them to start paying their own way toward self-defense. I mean, that's the irony. Yeah, (laughs) and I agree. All right, we'll get back with you all next week at the same time that we usually do at 5 o'clock. I appreciate you joining us today. Brendan Joe from uh, Conduit News, thank you. Thanks to Robert Steinbach for joining us as well. We've got a special coming your way about Veterans Day because today is Veterans Day. Thank you all who have served. Stand by. They'll be up, up after the news. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.